0: Show. I'm Alistair Stevens.
1: And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted, your green, glowy, goo drinking Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast.
0: <laughs> it's a high risk strategy picking a tongue twister for your little intro bit there. It is. You just
1: pulled it out. It is. Out. I like to go for the challenge.
0: You delivered that with aplomb.
1: That's right. On this, the
0: 14th or 15th try. <laughs> <laughs> This week on the show, Beauty and the Beasts, episode four of season three of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Not, I think it's fair to say, one of the standout, landmark, pivotal episodes of Buffy. Sure. But an interesting discussion. Oh, a oh, oh,
1: workmanlike Buffy episode. Workmanlike
0: is exactly the word I that I I think it would go goes for. in,
1: it gets the job done, and then it goes home for a beer.
0: And we have a workmanlike team at the heart of this episode.
1: Yes, we do. We have, once again, together again, Marty Noxon as a writer and James Whitmore. Jr. behind the camera. This is the same team that we had for I Only Have Eyes For You and <laughs> the dead, fondly remembered. The fondly remembered. I only have eyes for, for you. And, and the, the somewhat
0: less fondly remembered. Still
1: fondly. Sure, I can remember it fondly. A uh, dead man's party. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, this is a good team. They're a solid team. They've delivered some good stuff, and uh, and they know what they're doing.
0: There really is a, an element of craft to this script. Mm-hmm. It really is like a well constructed piece of narrative. Yeah. It doesn't aspire to anything particularly, you know, ambitious. And it certainly doesn't achieve the dizzying heights. It doesn't even achieve the the very well crafted, you know, one shot Buffy story that we've Mm -hmm. seen in the past. But it's a solid piece of work. And the thing that really that I really enjoyed watching this episode uh, this last week was seeing Martin Oxen's take on Willow. Oh yeah. We talked last time about how David Greenwald sometimes struggles to write Willow convincingly, and Mm -hmm. how in the hands of a less skilled writer. Willow is, you know, just a little bipolar. Right. Marty Knoxon <laughs> manages to synthesize Willow's yes. disparate, you know, personality elements mm-hmm. into a convincing whole in a way that, that basically no other writer but Joss manages to do. Yeah, so no, So Willow I think is she's a delight in this episode and, yeah. and given some of the heavy lifting, which is always nice to see.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I would say that this episode does aspire to something that it doesn't quite achieve. I feel like it aspires to a more literary tone than necessarily we see in Buffy. Um, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting that's, discussion.
0: That's actually a fair point. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe I'm giving it a pass because I don't see that ambition evident. But you're right. I mean, we open in a very... Un-Buffy-like Yes, way. we certainly do. Doubly so, in fact, because we open this episode, all of all episodes, we mm-hmm. open without a previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
1: Right. And I think that if you <laughs> hopped into this episode <laughs> of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you would be like, well, I don't understand why is the naked guy on the floor. Yeah. You know, I mean, that could be... You, you might yeah. need a little bit of background we're at We're generally,
0: point. you know, suspicious of shows, of, of any storytelling, giving the reader, the, the viewer, the audience more information than they need. Right. But I think it's okay for us to have been given a glimpse of Angel a previously reappearing on in the Garden mansion. Is previously on is yeah. completely
1: fine. A previously on is completely fine.
0: But instead, we open on Buffy's VO, reading from The Call of the Wild. And we move, we're getting this kind of dreamlike impressionistic sequence of running through trees, which mm-hmm. of course makes sense given the events that we'll see later in the episode. Mm -hmm. But we move from that to Willow reading the same passage in the library, only to be interrupted by Oz in werewolf form, throwing himself against the library cage. It is a strange opening for Buffy. Mm -hmm. And as is usually the case with opening VOs in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I kind of wish that it had been delivered by a different character. If you're going to have (laughs) it at all, Mm -hmm. having Buffy quoting Jack London and the Call of the Wild is... An odd choice.
1: Well, it tonally, Jack London tonally could not be more different from the, you know, the feel of Buffy and the Buffy verse and the way that we talk about stories within, within this world. Well, and you the way know? that we
0: talk about animalism. Animals and, and, and you know, yeah. Those it feels like, of character.
1: it feels like Call of the Wild was chosen for like a theme as opposed to for the actual content of the words that they're saying, because what they actually say in these passages doesn't really mean much. It doesn't add much. And it also has this very, I mean, honestly, I don't know how many times I've seen it. I still don't know. I know there's something about a rabbit. I don't understand it. It's, Boring. It's doesn't. It's not engaging. Well, I'm not Jack a Jack London, London fan. Taste anyway, right? Yeah, I'm not right. a Jack London fan. Anyway, but I think but...
0: even for Jack London fans, I think that the closing half of the VO works better mm-hmm. than the opening half does. um But yeah, it, it's still an odd beat to begin the episode. Yeah. It certainly is. I think you're right. It is the show declaring its intent. Yeah. It is this episode saying we are going to address these themes and there is some thematic depth to this episode mm-hmm. more than there may seem on on the first pass through it right. there really is some crunchy stuff here i'm not sure that the jack london quote is the right way to do it and it's it's made all the worse by giving it to Buffy. Willow you can understand, particularly mm-hmm. when Xander comes in and says, oh, this is the book that we're reading. Right. Mm-hmm. This is, aren't we reading the Cliff Notes to this for English? Exactly. <laughs> Which is a great, that is a great Xander line. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could understand Willow reading it. That would make a certain amount of sense. Right. I think if you reframed it and you gave it to, I mean, you could give it to Giles.
1: Giles has kind of the the weight, you know, to You're... to deliver those lines. But at the same time, I don't think that thematically that this... Works anyway. I don't. I don't think no, that it works no, no, no. totally. We
0: mm-hmm. could, and I think this would probably be my preferred approach. Give it to Oz.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, Oz, right. The mm-hmm. opening
0: VO and the closing VO right. allow him with you know Seth Green and his kind of that that mandatory ironic yeah. detachment, yeah. have him read that and it opens up a space for speculation, a space for interpretation right. that you don't get with the very kind of studied delivery mm-hmm. of either Buffy or Willow. Right. Um, it mm-hmm. would play less like a conventional VO and more with, you know... I have there a little would be resonance, something, to something it, less tangible from about
1: it, to hear it from the beast himself, yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: moving on, Xander arrives for Ozwatch. He recognizes, as I said, the call of the wild from the Cliff Notes version he's presumably not been studying. It is sometime after two a m, which means that Oz will soon be turning back into the lovable doofus we know so well mm-hmm. And speaking of lovable doofuses that we've come to know all too, well, hey. It's time for a visit from old Uncle Gay Panic Xander.
1: (laughs) You know, you just got to write it off. It's the 90s. This was a joke that everybody was telling in the 90s. And it's still stale and it's still not funny. But you know what? We can just whistle on past it. I'm starting
0: to develop a theory. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll need to go back and look at all the instances of Gay Panic Xander. Mm -hmm. Because Gay Panic Xander appears and disappears seemingly at random. Mm -hmm. And this is my theory. I think that Xander falls back on Gay Panic jokes when he's actually attracted to the guy in question.
1: Interesting.
0: This is what I think. I think it was perfectly cool for him to sit in the, 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 the sweat lodge, the yeah. steam room, yes, I guess, yes. during Go Fish, uh-huh. and, and be completely okay with that, because he's not attracted to those guys. But Oz, I mean... Oz is
1: kind of hot.
0: Oz is kind of hot. Especially when he's got that little humor, beastie werewolf thing going thing. on. He's got danger. Not many guys can rock black fingernail
1: polish. I gotta tell you, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That is my completely unsupported theory. All
1: right, go with it Xander
0: is concerned that Willow and Oz are getting a little too close to the full Monty right now it turns out they're hovering around 500 millimonties uh, (laughs) but the Montyometer it keeps ticking upward Willow reminds Xander in expository fashion but I kind of like it uh, Mm -hmm. that this is the first night of Oz's monthly cycle Mm -hmm. and that he shouldn't be too much trouble but if he is tranquilizer guns solve a surprising number of problems Willow is grateful, but when she leaves, Xander lays down on the table, rests his head on the books, and falls asleep. Mm-hmm. You would think that almost anywhere in that room would be more comfortable than, than lying down on, the table. on that table. But mm-hmm. I do like the, but I, it's the, easiest like the shot. visual of Yes, it. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> it works. Meanwhile, in the graveyard, Faith and Buffy are gossiping about Buffy's smooching habits. Scott Hope is nice. He's funny. He's apparently covered in streusel, which is... I guess if that's your thing, if that's your thing, that's good. As far as faith is concerned, though, all men are beasts and they're in it for the chase. Speaking of which, a young man is running through the forest, chased by something. He falls to the ground and is dragged away into the night. And we cut Two credits. All right. And still, we're four episodes into season three, and I still love it when that music gets in. I know! I'm still, it's still (laughs) so good. At school the next day, Willow is objecting to Faith's opinion of man. Scott comes over to say hey to Buffy, and that, in every sense, is all that he has to offer. Yes. Oz greets a girl who accompanies Scott, Debbie, who asks him about marching jazz band, but... Oz can't take the pressure. It's one thing being held back a grade. It's quite another to be held back a grade and stay in marching jazz band. Not even Oz levels of cool can survive that. (laughs) Debbie is holding a bouquet of flowers from her boyfriend, Pete, and Scott seeks reassurance that he isn't already screwing up the relationship. Oh, yes. Because that's how you comport yourself, right? That's how you deal with your girlfriend after a few dates. Yes. Is be super needy and insecure about whether or not you've already (laughs) torpedoed your chances.
1: Well, when he bought her a ring before he'd ever asked her out, I think that that was pretty much where he torpedoed his chances. This is not inconsistent. No, no. Scott Hope is is broken.
0: Though, in fairness, he bought her the ring and she suffered an epic level free cap. Yes. I think that's probably why he hasn't brought her flowers. He's not sure what could set her off.
1: And that's okay. You know what? Just cool out there, Scott.
0: Scott Hope we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about him in this mm-hmm. episode because he is at best peripheral to the action. Yeah, but by God, he's awful.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's,
0: he's surprisingly bad, even for you know what we saw of it last. Time yes, right? exactly. <laughs> Buffy, we learn, has an appointment with Platt, the school counselor. Debbie dislikes Platt, but she's failing bio, so Oz offers her his notes. He's just a nice guy, he is a nice Oz guy. In the library, Giles is panicking. Wait, that no, not panicking. That's it. No panicking here. He tells Oz and Willow that there was a murder last night. One Jeff Orkin is dead. Oz knew him. Jeff was mauled in the forest. No one thinks that Oz is responsible, though. At least not until Xander finds the window open in the cage. Giles chastises him for falling asleep on the job, and Oz is weighed down by the possibility of what he may have done. And we're introduced to... What is going to be the central conflict through maybe the first two acts yeah, of mm-hmm. this story. And I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. I think this is our second take. This is mm-hmm. our second shot at
2: yeah.
0: Oz as a werewolf. And sometimes he turns into a monster and he's yeah. not responsible for his actions. But he feels responsible for his actions. Mm-hmm. And I think that this this delivers that vision of Oz mm-hmm. so much more powerfully than phasis does.
1: Yes, absolutely, it does. Absolutely. I think it really works.
0: Mm-hmm. All the stuff with Oz in this episode. And, you know, as we've discussed before, Oz can be a problematic character. When yeah. he is just a cipher who is there to say witty and sardonic things,
2: right. he's less
0: impressive. But when you give him something to do, mm-hmm. he carries it off really quite nicely. And the the growing and deepening relationship between he and willow yeah i think really works in this episode it's one of my favorite things I about i love this,
1: this seth story. green yeah and i think that he can really really pull off a, he's got range you know he yeah. seems like he just does this one like sardonic thing but i think that when you give him something interesting to do he can do it
0: it's varieties within that range yeah. But he's capable of communicating a lot of nuance yeah well while acting in a very restrained, a very and, and subtle way, way, which yeah. I really
1: love. Mm-hmm. And
0: it's not just being able to do that, but it's being able to do that in the company of these other actors, many yeah. of whom, you know, there is a moment in this episode mm-hmm. that is one of the most, uh, one of the most high octane, mm-hmm. high stakes piece, uh, pieces of acting that I've yeah. seen in a long while. Mm-hmm. And it's carried off beautifully. But you couldn't have Oz standing anywhere near that. No, no, no.
1: <laughs> Oz would actually drain the. Yes. yes, he does. He does. He drains from the room.
0: So he manages to do all this stuff and still remain consistent with the rest of the cast, which I think is is great. He's, he's he really fantastic. does fantastic
1: do job. I absolutely love Seth Green. Just yeah. for everybody out there, there's a movie called Can't Hardly Wait, which is probably not a great movie, <laughs> but Seth Green is in it, and I absolutely love it. Ooh, we should do a commentary on it for the Patreon. <gasps> that would be fun. I haven't seen it that. It would in a while. be really be fun. Great. Yeah, yeah. He's, and and he's for anyone fun. who
0: wants even more Seth Green, uh, yes. I recommend the Mass Effect series of video games. Oh, Oh yeah, no, he's fantastic in, which he in that is excellent too, and manages to be super sardonic. Yeah, he's, he really I like he plays him. to his strengths in that. He's line. a good man. <laughs> he's a good man. Buffy shows up in Platt's office, which may look familiar. Mm-hmm. Almost certain this is a redressed. Principal Snyder's Snyder's office. office, Also Principal Flutie's office. Every office. Right, but the connection with Principal Flutie is particularly striking (laughs) in this episode.
1: what happens in this episode, yes.
0: Uh, His back is turned as Buffy enters, and he's smoking a cigarette. He doesn't want to be her friend. He squirts the Febreze, thankfully not a euphemism, and offers her (laughs) a seat. His whole deal is honesty. No one's all the way sane, right? There are demons, and he can teach Buffy how to fight them. You know... Of all the metaphors in the world. Yeah. Of all the metaphors upon which he might alight. That one's a biggie. You could you could build a whole show around that idea. <laughs> he asks Buffy why she ran away and she tells, in fairness, a version of the story. Platt's really good at picking up the subtext. He may have, in fact, a box set of Buffy season two on his <laughs> shelf. Buffy has to get back to normal. I
1: just had in my notes, well someone has the season two DVD set. <laughs> <laughs> It's the only thing that explains exactly. the
0: breathtaking <laughs> acuity.
1: Well, of unless the he, that he is chooses. actually one of those good whistler type demons <gasps> Interesting. who just knows everything. Interesting. It is entirely oh, I, like, possible. No, it would actually explain some things. <laughs> <laughs> More than one. Yeah. Explain the fact that he's somehow allowed to smoke in his office. This is
0: the thing. That is such a striking yeah. detail. Yeah, it's, it's you know we've talked before about smoking in Buffy, smoking yeah. in shows from the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. It now seems so impossible. Yeah, that,
1: that anybody could, would smoke indoors. Yeah, you particularly
0: know? you know on school property. Yeah, in a faculty office. Right. I I, I don't think don't even in the 80s the when
1: I was in school, yeah. nobody was allowed to smoke inside the school. Teachers, anybody.
0: Oh, but this guy's a rule breaker.
1: He is a rule He's breaker. Edgy
0: and he yeah, it's the hellmouth smoking is the least well of their problems nobody has activities.
1: nobody's going to live long enough to uh, <laughs> to suffer the the that problems cancer smoking. is yes. the least of exactly. your problems <laughs> on the hellmouth
0: buffy has to get back to normal because otherwise and i'm barely reading between the lines at all she'll end up as a loves bitch Mm mm-hmm. mhm In the library, Cordelia fills Buffy in on the Oz eating someone situation. We don't get much Cordelia in this episode, but by God, what we get is precious. Xander tries to help, but doesn't. And Giles sends Buffy out to patrol the woods, while the others check out the morgue. Faith can watch Oz, which upsets him. He says, you're having a Slayer watch me? Good, we're not overreacting. (laughs) Hey, hey, supernatural monster boy. That's not overreacting. That is the right (laughs) amount of reacting. (laughs) Xander was apparently too little. Buffy would be too much. Yes. Faith is our Goldilocks. Faith is
1: our Goldilocks, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a weird
0: moment of. of Yeah. I, I don't know. Oz plays these drama moments. And we get, yeah. of course, an explicit reference to that when he's talking about, you know, right. you know how sometimes you just have to walk out of the room and do exactly. conversation. It may seem dramatic, but that's where I am. I really like that scene. We'll that was very nicely done, done yes. Oz leans very heavily on the fourth wall, but Willow is all practicality. There is no time for drama. It's a quarter to cage o'clock. <laughs> Willow is upset, but Oz tells her to get away. He's about to change and given everything, he wants to dial it down to no more than 200, 220 millimonties. Yes. Maybe 175 for safety. We really want to just, just bring that down into manageable levels. There's a certain amount of background, background monty radiation. You
2: yes, know. You're, yes. You're
0: always hovering around 50 or 60 millimonties <laughs> at the best of times. You're never as far as you would necessarily want to be from Seth <laughs> <Sans> Green's nakedness. <laughs> wow, this went a long way for me. In the forest, Buffy cautiously patrols as something moves in the darkness, a shirtless human-looking something. Well, a shirtless angel looking something. We cut to commercial as angel growls, but when we return, he attacks Buffy and they fight. She beats him bloody and knocks him down disbelief on her face.
1: In the okay. morgue Wait, no 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 no. I have to raise my hand yes. and say something here. Where'd he get the pants? <laughs> Did Feral Angel go out to Nordstrom's and just grab something off the rack? Uh, yes, yes. And <laughs> we're how feral can he be if he managed to put on a pair of pants?
0: I think that whoever I mean, I
1: understand. It's a network
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I saw the pants and I was like, okay. Well, he was okay. He was living at the mansion. Yeah. So and, and very possibly when he was swept into hell, so obviously in he didn't have time to pack state, his
2: in his feral was, state, his damn, first line. <laughs> <laughs> so yep, I don't know. Yep.
1: Feral angel in pants. Just I thought it was kind of adorable.
0: I kind of wish that we didn't have
1: it. I No, I kind of wish that we just shot it, Yeah, you know, that he's naked and yeah. feral, you know.
0: Because we saw like a good, you know, it was right. a very, how can I put this? It was a very progressively shot yes. scene mm-hmm. for, you know, 1998 on network right. television. His appearance in the Garden Mansion showed a lot of skin.
1: We saw him naked. He yeah, was naked. It would
0: have been fine, I think, yeah. to move through this. And if, yeah, because the reward of having Buffy, you know, mm-hmm. awkwardly throw him a pair of pants <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: would have been great. <laughs> I think you could only keep him... Yeah, you, he would have to be wearing pants by the time we get to the end of the episode. Yeah. Because otherwise that changes the, the subtext entirely. Well, and as
1: soon as we see him at the end of the episode, and he's wearing clothes. Like, if somebody puts on clothes, I think that is an indicator of some level of civilization, some level of wow, okay. consciousness and understanding. And when we're playing Angel as being, like, this incredibly feral... Beast.
0: So thematically, within the construct of this episode, then, the pants actually rec- represent Angel's humanity, his, his, yeah. his nascent yes. humanity.
1: Yes, reaching for and putting on... So he's half beast, the, yeah. but
0: half human. Yeah. Which would make <laughs> Willow's uh-huh. encounter with Oz entirely appropriate, then. Yeah. Wow.
1: See, I'm just, I'm going You're picking deep. picking up a whole I'm going deep on level. this. It's pretty good. I'm just saying it's funny.
0: In the morgue, Willow <laughs> casually checks out the body of the deceased, armed only with a flashlight... And a Scooby-Doo Lunchbox. I love that. If ever you doubt mm-hmm. Martin Oxen's grasp of that character, yes. <laughs> this is the scene that you point out. Exactly. This is nigh perfect. And if you ever doubt Martin Oxen's, you know, worst tendencies when it comes <laughs> to jump scares and misleading the audience, Here we this go. is also the scene yes. to point out because we have <laughs> the shadow creeping up on her. It's Xander. Yeah. There's no need to make it. Dr- We're already in a morgue. It's, it's a already exactly. as dramatic as it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, There's Cordelia, too, who is impressed with Willow's dedication, but she only manages to keep it together long enough to collect the evidence. Then she faints into Xander's arms. Mm -hmm. Xander catches her and confides in Cordelia that things don't look good for Oz. The body was ripped apart by a big, wild animal. Buffy raids her hope chest to find manacles. No judgment, Buffy. That's cool. And chains up the feral angel (laughs) in the garden mansion. She finds a scorch mark on the ground that shows where he landed out of the hell dimension. He fights the chains for a while, then falls to the floor. Mm -hmm. I really like everything that Sarah Michelle Gellar does with the angel scenes in this episode Mm -hmm. because she's obviously stunned and moved, but she doesn't move past disbelief too quickly. She has this look of,
1: what, what the, the hell is going on here? Exactly. Am and I, I am I imagining it. this? Have I yeah. lost my mind? I mean, I think part of her wonders if she's, you know, hallucinating the whole thing.
0: It could well be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the way that she the way that she takes action in mm-hmm. a very kind of Buffy-esque right. way, you know. Mm-hmm. First we compartmentalize the problem. We chain him up, yep. we leave him there, then we move forward. I think it's easy to be critical of Buffy. Yeah. It's easy to look at this episode and say why the hell didn't you just go straight to Giles? Why didn't you just tell the truth immediately? Why mm-hmm. didn't you know, why didn't you take the appropriate right. precautions to make sure that this doesn't spiral out of control? Mm-hmm. I think that her performance manages to sell her.
1: It does. It does. And I usually don't care for that particular story beat where something happens and let's keep it a secret because the secrets only purpose of that, are weak, yeah. yeah, secrets and misunderstandings. The only purpose of that is to create false conflict. Usually, when a character has a good reason to keep a secret, um, and especially when Angel first comes back and Buffy hasn't processed it entirely herself, she. Knows enough to know that when she tells them there's going to be a reaction, they're going to want to kill him, they're going to want to do something, and she has to know how she feels about it so that she can deal with it, you yeah. know, so she can yeah. handle it. Um, and the thing is, is that I think one of the things that we got from the end of season two and from the opening of season three with Anne is that the essential nature of a Slayer is this is your problem you know, this is your thing when it comes right down to it. She's the one who answers for everything. So she gets to make the decisions. Mm. Yes.
0: Yeah. I I think there's a larger conversation to be had there about Mm -hmm. how much of that is the nature of the Slayer and how much of that is fundamentally Buffy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would be fair to say that Faith's approach to the problem would be different. Kendra's approach to the problem would be different. Mm -hmm. Buffy... There are elements of Buffy's Slayer identity that are not apparently innate to the Slayer. Yeah. Buffy brings a kind of compassion Mm -hmm. and empathy to her role, particularly, you know, at this point in the story, Mm -hmm. that would be lacking from another Slayer. And that, of course just makes things worse. Yeah. It just complicates matters, which is always what you should do to your Absolutely. In the library, Faith is listening to music on headphones and she's dancing around as Oz growls in the cage. When Buffy interrupts her, Faith punches her in the face. Of course she does. I love that beat. Yeah.
1: Okay, here's the There's thing. There's
0: nothing about that beat that I don't enjoy.
1: No one should ever... Sneak up on a slayer. Just don't do it. Wear loud shoes, but have bright lights flashing. It's
0: Buffy's disorientation again. Yes. It's th- this because I had the same thought. I right. thought, look, Buffy of all people, people know. knows what it is to be a slayer. <laughs> there is no right. way that she would sneak up on Faith. And there's no way that she would be, if Faith turns around and takes a swing at her, yeah. Buffy would be ready. She's right. got instincts too. She's been a slayer a lot longer than Faith has. Mm-hmm.
1: But, but she's coming off something that has completely shook absolutely. her. Absolutely. She's yeah. not
0: herself. Mm-hmm. It, it's a really nicely constructed moment. And, of course, very uh, representative of Faith's character. Yes,
1: Faith absolutely. does not get a lot Faith in this episode. Shoots first and asks questions later. Yeah. That's Faith. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: it's really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Faith apologizes as Buffy rubs her jaw, but more serious matters are afoot. Buffy relieves Faith, who goes out into the night to hunt some vamps and begins going through Giles's card catalog. In the morning, a naked Oz is sleeping peacefully in the cage as Giles unlocks the door. Buffy is sleeping in Giles' office with quite the stack of books by Mm -hmm. her side. Mm -hmm. How odd it is that Giles isn't upset that Buffy was asleep on the job. I
1: had that in my notes, too. But I think that Oz is there, you know, Buffy maybe fell asleep after Oz changed back. It's possible so but i think giles that doesn't know that coming in but i think that he presumes the best of buffy in a way that he does not presume the best of xander I and possibly has experience to to you know account to, to for that, that yeah, yeah. No, no i think i think that's a fair
0: position to take it, the only thing that rang a little weird for me mm-hmm. in this episode in particular is the beat where willow foreshadows that tomorrow night's going to be the worst one yes you know? mm-hmm. we open on the first of the three nights this night, as as Buffy relieves Faith, is mm-hmm. is the second of the is three, the and is presumably the height mm-hmm. of Oz's you know bestial nature. Yeah. Um, so we foreshadowed that a little bit, but it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't come to anything. Yeah. Even though Buffy's asleep, it seems like there's potential there for another narrative beat, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't connect. There's, yeah. no, there's no there, there. Everything's pointing towards something that that is noticeably absent. Mm-hmm. I think. In the face of Giles' unrelenting Britishness, Buffy says that she had a dream of Angel that raised some questions. Giles had dreams of Jenny after she died, so he understands what Buffy's going through. He reassures her that there is no chance that Angel could return. There's no record of it ever happening. If he did make it back, against all the odds, he wouldn't be himself anyway. He would have endured centuries of torment. Giles says that there are two types of monster. Those who can, those who want to be redeemed, and those who cannot be reasoned with. Those who have no humanity left. That is a much more interesting and nuanced and, and you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> typical of Giles. Right. Take on this whole situation. This is our kind of thematic opposition mm-hmm. to Faith's bold statement earlier in the episode
1: right. that all men are monsters. Right. Well, and also that this is, you know, this is, I think, the first time... And and correct me if I'm wrong but I mean I think the first time like actually textually where we are acknowledging that not all demons are essentially evil and beyond redemption. Well,
0: but we're not we're not talking about demons though. Is the problem we're talking about? Yes, supernatural evil. Yeah. But we're not talking about we're talking about monsters specifically mm-hmm. and demons are still in the, the the Buffyverse, you know, necessarily evil.
1: The essentially evil.
0: The the monster of Angel mm-hmm. is the ensouled angel. Yeah. angel with a soul is still a monster. He still has to fight his baser instincts. He still wants to be redeemed. Mm -hmm. Oz is a monster, albeit of a different sort. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem to be afflicted with the same I mean, there's no there's no sense in which the lycanthropy is demonic in nature. There's no right. sense that as a werewolf, he is evil. He's just an animal. He's just a beast. Yeah, which yeah. I guess is an interesting kind of third mm-hmm. <laughs> a third part to our, our taxonomy of evil. You know, we, because
1: it's not about redemption. He doesn't have control three nights a yeah, exactly. month. Yeah. He
0: can't be redeemed for what the beast does because he's not responsible. He's for not
1: responsible because he has no control over it. And we could...
0: Mm-hmm argue as we have argued before that Angel's actually in the same situation that human angel is not responsible for for what demon angel does right Mm -hmm. but it's a more complicated situation because because he still
1: has his personality his memories his understanding and he's still a demon whereas He's a demon with a
0: soul, but he's not human again. So there are fine distinctions being drawn. But overall, I really like this. It adds a
1: little bit to this kind of philosophy of of demons and evil and and the realm of the supernatural. It gives us a little something more to go on as far as how all this actually works. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And how we're supposed to perceive
0: it. Exactly. The the authorial Mm -hmm. intent uh, that guides us toward how to understand these different kinds of evil. The only thing that it does negatively, unfortunately is make me wish that we'd addressed Giles's past. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been hard to do. It wouldn't have been hard to right. have, you know, a line, a something in there mm-hmm. about Ripper. Right. And, and the fact that Giles himself has struggled with this, that he mm-hmm. himself wants to be redeemed. I think you can see it in his performance.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. But
0: there's nothing in the text of the episode. And... It's distressing because we dealt with it so recently. He confronted Snyder to Mm -hmm. get Buffy back into school. Right. And there was no consequence to that at all. Yeah. We actually actively undermined it last week. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's it's just a missed opportunity.
1: It is. It is. Yeah. But there's so much going on that it's real hard to focus on, (laughs) you know, on Giles as Ripper. And, you know, I think that. Well, we'll get a chance to talk about that later. I, I think we probably
0: mm-hmm. will. I think you're right. They, they certainly wouldn't leave such a rich vein of storytelling I don't think uh, so. alone for long. Yeah. Willow appears in the library with donuts and appears at this point to call Oz a cold-blooded jelly donut, which is the <laughs> joke that I wrote in my notes. Yes. And thus is mine. That joke is belongs yours. to me. Right. Doesn't matter that it was originally written 15 years ago and will appear 20 minutes later in the sure, script. Sure. Right. I wrote that joke and I was pleased with it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Buffy is desperate for the truth, but CSI is sunny. Dale was inconclusive. At lunch, Buffy loads up a plate with Jell-O and Scott just takes the opportunity to criticize her diet. Scott is the worst yes. through this. Debbie and Pete talk about Platt, but Buffy liked him time for some quick character development for scott are we ready yes his friends are gross his Mm -hmm. mom is stupid he would hire people to impersonate friends in order to impress a girl he gives buffy a weak sauce compliment in the most self-important i'm a great boyfriend kind of way and he's the worst yes (laughs) the worst
1: stay tuned (laughs) that's all you need to know about scott hope that's all you need to know
0: it's
2: terrible.
1: I don't even think the writers are interested in Scott Hope. I think that they loved the idea of faith, hope, and trick, and so they had to have somebody play the role of Hope, and they threw him in there. And it just doesn't seem like there's nobody likes writing him. Nobody likes him. <laughs> there should
0: be something here. Yeah, there should be the narrative function that Scott should be providing at this point is an anchor. He should actually be a seriously nice guy. Yeah, he should actually be someone. If he's going to be, I think that was the intent
1: I think that, the, that their intent was, the intent was that he was charming and normal so. and I think that they miss it.
0: They do a terrible job. If yeah. that really is I think Because I'm they make far him odious It's, it's, it's a
1: Scavonian thing. It's, no, I'm
0: far more inclined to believe your version of events that just nobody likes him, nobody cares. Yeah. Because he's terrible. Yeah. When Buffy sits down and he says that he has to give her nutritional demerits. Mm-hmm. The no. only appropriate response is for Buffy to hit him with her lunch tray and walk out of the no, room.
1: No, I think shove the jello up his nose <laughs>
0: okay. is the way to do it. <laughs> jello I would... shoving then tray. Jello hit shoving
1: it, then tray hitting. Then hit walking away. But here's the thing, I think that this is supposed to be charming. I think that they see it. I think that the writers see this as like this charming little thing. Isn't he cute? He's so no. jokey. He's you so funny. You could
0: convince me last week. But between that And every every single word out of his mouth through this entire part. And then when he gives it the compliment, when he said, I was going to say that you look great, but I'm going to have to upgrade that to amazing, knowing that you didn't sleep last night. Right. It's like, oh, okay. Because it's, how it's, you it's look is more her- important
1: than the fact that you didn't sleep well and you're upset well, by something. And, yeah. and it's
0: fantastic that her appearance should be graded. Yes, exactly. No, guy.
1: there are so many levels on which to uh, be offended by Scott Hope's existence. Yeah. Um. So you know, I'm I'm it's, just I'm whistling past it. I don't. I'm not interested. Nobody's interested. Scott doesn't matter. You this just got to... This precious gotta... little of him and he yeah. exerts
0: almost no gravitational influence on the Absolutely. story. But mm-hmm. by God, you know, it's, every time he shows up he just yeah. gets worse. It's, yeah. Which is a remarkable feat. Buffy excuses herself not a moment too soon and Pete takes the opportunity to call her manic depressive but we quickly move away to the relatively comforting sight of Feral Angel still chained. Mm-hmm. I would take a feral insane vampire yes. over spending more time with Scott and Pete too. Oh, in a heartbeat! Right Buffy says his name, but he doesn't respond. She draws closer, but when she touches him, he lashes out at her, growling. As Buffy leaves, the bracket upon which Angel is chained moves <gasps> ominously. Back at Sunnydale High, Pete pulls Debbie into a storage closet, a, a janitorial, janitorial
2: thing. thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, we have maybe been podcasting together it's for too possible long. If we we spent too much time together. Yeah. Uh, Pete is distracted, though, by an empty jar containing a glowing green liquid of unholy origin. He's clearly horrified at the thought that Debbie may have drunk it. She plays it off, but there's something terrible lurking under the surface. This stuff is green, it glows, it's dangerous. She's ashamed. Oh god, it's it's Mountain Dew. Oh. <laughs>
1: You do get that shameful feeling after right? drinking Mountain Dew. That's this totally makes sense now. <laughs> In Plant's
0: office, Buffy heavily foreshadows the inevitable reveal that he is dead. Ugh. Don't turn around. Don't listen. Don't don't breathe. Uh, if you could just try to suspend all animus and autonomic function <laughs> while I tell my story, that would be good. Oh, damn, no, I really appreciate it. You. Wow, you're such a good listener. Mm-hmm. Buffy begins to tell him the truth and says that she needs help. And God damn, I hate this scene. Yeah, because the reveal is so stupid.
2: The reveal I is stupid. Love
0: this moment of Buffy turning to a person who exists outside of her world mm-hmm. and actually asking for help. It's right. such a powerful moment, and we play it off for the stupid reveal, and that must be psychologically crushing to Buffy.
1: In what universe, though? Okay, this is a universe in which cops are not equipped to deal with demons, so Buffy does. So... Why would she turn to not even a cop, to a high school guidance counselor? I don't think she's
0: looking for for actual physical help. I think she's looking for guidance and emotional support. Guidance and emotional support that she can't get from the people she loves. Because they have a history with Because Angel. they have a history with they it. They can't see her problem clearly in the way that Platt can. Yeah, it doesn't, or could.
1: it doesn't really work for This entire scene doesn't work for me. I mean, Sarah Michelle Geller, I think, does an amazing job with that moment. I don't see her turning to this guy. He can't help her.
0: I I can see... Well, I think he could help her. I think he could. I think that he has that line earlier. You know, Mm -hmm. we've got to believe that demons can be fought. We've got to believe that people can change. Yes, it's far too on the nose. You're right. There's no way that he would happen upon that exact metaphor Mm -hmm. without having the season two box set on his shelf. Right. Mm -hmm. But if we allow for that, if we assume that that is valid, I think we can see a response from Buffy that in this moment of, of disorientation and desperation a moment in which she can't turn to the people she loves, the people Mm -hmm. that she would normally go to for support. She can't even turn to her mother because her mother now knows all about Angel too. Right. I could buy that she would go to an outsider. Not, you know, Buffy, composed, calm, collected, Mm -hmm. but Buffy, desperate, disoriented. And afraid, (laughs) yeah. I could buy that she would go to the one person who seemed to give her some kind of, of hint of hope but we just play it off instead for the reveal.
1: For the reveal and if which we is buy everything yeah.
0: that gets us to this point, psychologically crushing for yes. The
1: one time <laughs> The that one time she, she thinks she help, can turn to somebody and his and face has been dead. swiped off. Oh, and and here is the thing too, with the, the cigarette butt still in his hand, still, you know, burned all the way down, like he got violently. Swiped. We see the side of his face. So to believe that he got hit with enough power that killed him. Oh, more than once. There are multiple injuries. Nothing moves on his body. The cigarette still stays there. The only possibility is that he was killed and then put in that position and then set up with the cigarette there by the killer, which
0: he was attacked by the killer. Mm-hmm. Let's play coy about who the killer was.
1: Right. Now. Let's do that. Yes. This is this is Agatha Christie. Mysterious killer. Who could it possibly be? Uh,
0: and he wasn't actually killed in the moment. He just suffered mortal wounds. And, and decided to have a cigarette. Chair and was like, oh, I'm probably going to be fine. I'll just have a quick cigarette before I call 911. And then his heart
1: out. stopped while he was... <laughs> Inhaling. No,
0: it doesn't work from a production point of view. It doesn't work. This entire moment is sold out for this cheap reveal, and the reveal is so obvious and painful. And when we get it, so expected. And doesn't make any sense. Doesn't do anything. Yeah, it's a real low point in, in this episode. Yeah,
1: I just I don't. It's it's when and this is what happens too when writers fall in love with an idea. You know, oh, this would be so cool. And this happens to me all the time. I do this and then I will spend days, weeks trying to tweak it to make it work, to force it to work. And then eventually, usually I would like to believe that I end up throwing out that scene. Although probably I could go into my books and find evidence of something I kept despite the fact that it didn't work because I had a cute idea. So I sympathize with, oh, wouldn't it be so cool if he still had the cigarette and he was dead the whole time? But unless you have a Medusa type of supernatural where you can flash and somebody dies... If that had been the case, if that was the kind of monster that we had that was just like you look in their eyes and they die like instantly, then this would have worked. Or but because that's vampire, not the monster you know? we have, yeah. you know, then then it just doesn't work. No, it's, it's You don't get
0: to have both. Yeah. You don't get to have, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde aspects yeah. of Pete. You don't get to talk about this, this, this animalistic
2: fury mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and also have this. Clean, composed setup. Right. The two things don't work. Right. You get one or the other. Mm-hmm. And honestly, looking at this scene, I don't hate the earlier plant scene. It is incredibly heavy-handed. It is incredibly on the nose. I kind of like the actor. I think he I like the to actor. Put enough Charm I into do. it. That if it didn't, if that scene was self-contained mm-hmm. and it was just like if it was just the show, kind of winking yeah. toward the fourth wall. Cool. Mm-hmm. I can take that. But because we only have that earlier scene to set up this ridiculous reveal, which carries no weight at all, I I, I think the whole character should be cut. There's no reason for him to be in there at all.
1: No, there really isn't.
0: Yeah, And (laughs) the reason that we mentioned it earlier, of course, is that his manner and mode of death, not entirely dissimilar to the late lamented Principal Flutie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Not the first guy to be torn apart by animals by in that chair in that, in that office.
1: Chair. Yeah, I think that they should just close that office. You would
0: think so, I think right? that
1: they should just board it up. Or at least have like standing
0: animal control at the school. I think we've proven the need for it. Unless they're still in the lunchroom getting snakes out. I, right. I didn't look carefully in the back of the shop when Buffy was at lunch. Uh huh. It's possible that the cafeteria is still like a third full Snake of snakes. Snake
1: meat. surprise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in the storage closet, Pete accuses Debbie of emptying the jar and he's angry. He begins smashing jars, he made these concoctions, and then he steps forward to frame himself ready for a CGI shot so you know (laughs) nothing good is coming. Sure enough, Pete's a steroid monster. Yes, Debbie wanted him to be a manly man and he made it happen. This is better living through chemistry. He slaps Debbie to the floor and heavily implies that he murdered Platt. In a moment, he reverts to the normal apologetic Pete. He apologizes for his treatment of her. It was her fault for making him mad, see? She hugs him and holds him to her chest, stroking his hair and soothing his tender heart. And let's assume that we're going to have at least one big talking point at the end of yes. today's episode of mm-hmm. Dusted. I think there's probably a thing that we want to talk about yeah. when we get there. According to the coroner, Mr. Platt was pureed. We learned this from Giles in the library, but it also tells us that we need to fire the coroner. <laughs> because A, <laughs> that, is not a that is not a medical description. And B, it's not even an accurate description. <laughs> unless we are suggesting that he had been completely liquefied and was being held together only by his clothes, ah, which would be gross, which would be really gross. And we'd make the cigarette.
1: Right. But there is <laughs> good the
0: news explicable. though. Willow is yes. relieved to learn that it was a day killing. Oz <laughs> is off the hook as is Angel outside. Oz is waiting for Debbie to give her the biology notes. He notices that she has a black eye and offers to talk with her, but she waves it off with a weak excuse and leaves. All the while Pete watches from the shadows really great Oz work in yes. the scene. Mm-hmm. He really lands that. That is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. But he manages to to bring exactly the right kind of empathy mm-hmm. and, and the right degree of empathy. I, I like it very much.
2: I like
1: the underplaying. You yeah. know, Oz, yeah. there's so much that you can do with just subtlety and just yeah. hints. And I, I love the way that Oz is allowed to do that.
0: Yeah, when you give those lines, mm-hmm. when you give that that performance to an actor who is capable of stillness and silence. Yes, You really can do a lot with Mm -hmm. it. It's interesting to juxtapose Oz's reaction at that point with, you know, Buffy's obvious reaction later in the the, the bathroom. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that in due course, but I really like that that singular Mm -hmm. moment. In the library, Oz arrives and just ruthlessly rips off my cold-blooded jelly donut joke from earlier. (laughs) He's off the hook, which is good, but that means there's something bad out there, which is bad. Moreover, it's focused on Sunnydale High, and they have Debbie in common. Buffy jumps to the conclusion that Platt was killed quickly, which for some reason points to Pete rather than Debbie. Mm -hmm. Not sure. I did rewind that scene several times to try and figure out the logic of it. But the argument that Platt was killed quickly means that it couldn't have been Debbie. Yes. The fact that he was pureed... Implies, like to
1: take time with these things. I, yeah, when we kill, we kill slowly. It's, it's I don't know
0: because we have fifteen minutes left of the it's episode. Because we, we don't have time to explain, to just yet.
1: accept it. And she shut up. Might as well up. be looking yes. at her
0: watch and like tapping the script.
1: Exactly.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> Oz locks himself in the cage as the others head out to search for Pete. Instead, they find Debbie in the locker room applying makeup to her black eye. It's not Pete's fault. It's her fault for making him crazy. Buffy and Willow demand to know what is going on and warn her that if Pete gets to her first, it will be too late to ask for help. Back in the garden mansion, Angel manages to tear the manacles from the wall and runs out. Debbie, meanwhile, is still playing dumb, but Buffy gives her a short, sharp lesson in self-respect. In the library, Pete stops by the cage. The sun is setting and Oz is nervous. He tries to warn Pete off, but Pete hulks out, just as he did before. He tears the door off the library cage, which is, I admit, pretty impressive. Yeah. And then he throws Oz across the library floor, which is a little less impressive, in Mm -hmm. fairness. The strength that it must have taken to tear (laughs) off the door should have put Oz through the wall.
1: Right. But that would have led to
0: a much more complicated fight scene. Mm -hmm. Back in the locker room, Debbie has slipped into a catatonic state. In the library, a full-on smackdown ensues. Oz morphs into Where Oz, and Pete pays the price. The others arrive in the nick of time, but Debbie knocks Buffy's aim, and she accidentally shoots Giles with the tranquilizer gun.
1: (laughs) Which is the second time Giles has been shot in the ass. (laughs)
0: And I put my head in my hands. It doesn't accomplish anything. No, there is no need for that. It's just a joke. Yeah. Oz flees with Faith in pursuit. Buffy attacks Pete, chasing him through the halls. He slips out of a high window, leaving a streak of blood on the wall behind. Back in the storage closet, Debbie is thrilled that Pete is still alive. She tells him to flee, and he attacks her. Buffy, meanwhile, follows in his footsteps as, back near the student lounge, Oz attacks Faith. Buffy finds Debbie unconscious on the floor. When she investigates, Pete attacks from the shadows. Meanwhile, Willow distracts Oz from Faith, who takes the opportunity to shoot Oz with the tranquilizer gun. Pete is beating up on Buffy, but vamp-face Angel appears in the doorway and starts slashing at Pete with the chains. Finally, he chokes the boy to death. Pete returns to normal. There's going to be some explaining to do after this is all over, but Mm -hmm. Angel is a long way from that. Though as he looks to Buffy, he devamps... Approaches her slowly and says her name. He drops to his knees and clings to her. The love theme plays, and oh Buffy God. weeps, still in shock.
1: It's a killer moment.
0: When I mentioned earlier, the Ugh. high octane, yes. high wire, yes. as much acting as you can possibly do, do it all right oh, now. Oh, yeah. This is that moment. Ugh. And it's amazing how it's compelling so it is. Good. It's amazing that they landed.
1: It's so good. It's so sad. It's so horrifying. Yeah. All of it, and you feel the tension, all, everything that's built into that moment. You can just feel it, you know? Oh God, it's wonderful. It's
0: really, Mm -hmm. really well done. At school, the next day, the Scoobies are swapping the various accounts they've heard of Pete, except Cordelia, who is shocked to learn that he was a monster. (laughs) That's what happens when you disappear from the story where have after I the been? end of the first act. Exactly. You miss out on things. That yeah, that one where have
1: I been? I think possibly the charisma carpenter just had something to do and she couldn't <laughs> be there. And so they wrote it that way to accommodate her schedule and she then they and made a joke just about disappear it. Disappear yeah. at the end
0: of the first act. Yeah.
1: It's pretty great.
0: Yeah. I like this continuing, mm-hmm. you know, proof. That Cordelia has a rich inner life. Yes. I like this idea that she is off having separate adventures.
1: She certainly is.
0: Or, you know, she was just in a different closet making out with Xander the whole time.
1: No, I don't know. Possibly. It's, Xander it's wasn't a around a great whole lot moment either. moment
0: of yeah. self-awareness. I love it. <laughs> uh, Willow explains that Pete created a potion to transform himself into a monster, and Cordelia wrestles with the implications of this human evil. Now she's going to be stuck with serious thoughts all day. I know. Bummer. Cordelia is the greatest.
1: She really is. Every time she
0: opens her mouth in this episode, it yeah. makes me happy beyond the telling. Yeah. It. She's just great. Buffy goes to sit with Scott. Apparently, we're behaving like Debbie is dead. Even
1: Debbie is dead, isn't she?
0: She is in the story. But right. here's the problem. We get that last shot of Angel on his knees, yeah. his arms wrapped around Buffy, when you realize how tall he is. Yes, yes, yes. He's basically, you know, the top of his head is level with her clavicle. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and in Debbie's uh, prone on the ground yeah. in the foreground of that shot, but in that shot, she's obviously breathing. Oh. Because she's wearing the little the little right. showing crop top thing, yeah, and she's breathing. So I assumed, oh, Debbie's going to survive. I presume she's going dead. to be given a conversation. You know, how were you gonna...
1: watching Debbie when Angel was crying and the Close Your Eyes theme was playing in the background? I just in the moment. Okay, I just, I just, just it. Take this no.
0: <laughs> it was just so conspicuous yeah, that she yeah. was breathing. Okay, that I have never
1: noticed it. I've always thought she was dead. When you said she was unconscious before, I was like, oh God, did I miss something? Yeah. No,
0: I Honestly thought okay. that we would get that scene that we so often get at the yeah. end of the episode where Buffy has a heart to heart with the gonna girl. Be, it's and gonna sets be her really
1: tough when you're the, an actor trying to be dead. You know, sure. you can't breathe, you got to stay completely still. I, if a fly lands that. on your nose, you just have to kind of live with it.
0: I think the thing that surprised me was less that she was obviously breathing in yeah. that shot and more the fact that she's dead is a mm-hmm. really bold narrative choice yeah. for this script in particular yeah. to make. Mm-hmm. Usually, you would expect that scene. You would yeah. expect the you know mm-hmm. he was a monster. It was all his fault. This wasn't you. She you survives and yeah, he dies. She has the guilt, but you know she he she deserves squares it. Squares her shoulders right. and she sets her chin and she's going to be just mm-hmm. fine. Damn it! No, we just kill her. We she's just killed just her. Done. Yeah, that's a really. <laughs> That's a really atypical choice, I think, for yeah. Buffy to make. Yeah. Um, because you know, for all that we talk about the killing and the slaying and mm-hmm. the monsters and the everything, particularly human on human violence yeah. is usually treated very seriously. A character that we get to know, mm-hmm. particularly in this case, yeah. a-, a girl dealing with a you know domestic abuse storyline mm-hmm. is. I, I was surprised. I-, I was so sure that she would survive. Yeah. That the sight of her breathing on the floor mm-hmm. made perfect sense to me uh-huh and then this beat when they're talking about her as if she's dead i was waiting wow. for the oh well she's not really dead she you know
1: right right right
0: but no yeah she's hey, just yeah. done it's 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 a bold choice scott is shocked that his friends have died and the sudden realization that he has no sense of the interiority of other people <laughs> this might be more about you Yeah. That night, Buffy watches Angel sleep And she quotes again from The Call of the Wild Night came on and a full moon rose high above the trees Lighting the land till it lay bathed in ghostly day And the strain of the primitive remained alive and active Faithfulness and devotion, things born of fire and roof were his Yet he retained his wildness and wiliness And from the depths of the forest, a call still sounded Mm -hmm. And as much as I don't like the opening VO the closing moment kind of works.
1: It doesn't kind of for like me. It. It's just as flat as the open for me.
0: I'm I'm very interested in that internal battle between the civil and the savage. This internal battle between the human and the not demonic because mm-hmm. demonic evil is kind of boring in the Buffyverse. It's right. just evil. It's just mm-hmm. always going to be maximally evil. At least <laughs> that's, you know, the party mm-hmm. line. That's what we're told about demons. Is that they're 100% evil, even though we, through the course of of watching this, this you know, two and a bit seasons have discovered that that's not always true. Yes. There are complications Mm -hmm. there. But the idea of angel wrestling not with his demonic nature, Mm -hmm. but with this feral aspect, Mm -hmm. with the consequence of the torment that he endured in hell dimension, Mm -hmm. which may not even have anything to do with... Mm -hmm. being a vampire, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Except that he, A, survived it, and B, has the power to do things that, you know, human beings would Mm -hmm. like. I I, kind of like it. I kind of like it.
1: Yeah, it doesn't work for me. I feel again, tonally, it just doesn't fit Buffy. I, I like the theme, the civil versus the savage. I think that's really interesting. I think that that's, that's one of the interesting things in this episode. Um, but the call of the wild is so flat and, um, overwritten and inaccessible. I think in, in that short little punch that you get that it, it detracts from it as soon as they start I've never actually listened to the words. I've watched this a million times. As soon as it starts, it just reads blah 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 yeah, to me. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, well, and
0: that's one of the things that I think you could you could circumvent by having Oz deliver that VO. Possibly, I that but I still think just delivery, I think
1: Jack London is a poor choice for a Buffy metaphor. A I very, think that it's, it's a very unconventionally
0: yeah. Buffy choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, so that's our episode. Yes, um, I want to. Begin. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, there are a few things we have to talk about, clearly. But the thing that I want to start with is a very simple and direct observation. I hate the title of this episode. Yeah. I hate it as a pun. Mm -hmm. I hate it as just just a piece of, of, God, even like semi-clever wordplay. Right. I hate it on that level. Mm -hmm. But far more importantly, I hate it because it actively works against the content of the episode. Yeah. It doesn't understand what this episode is actually about. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a common criticism of this episode, right? Yes. That this is somehow anti-masculine. Mm-hmm. That this is somehow, you know, proof that that Martin knoxon doesn't like men. Right. Um, which is going to be a talking point in the future in mm-hmm. Buffy. I, I don't think there's any weight to it. I don't think it's a legitimate argument right. at all. But this is one of the episodes that's called out. And people use this line from faith. All men are beasts. They're only in it for the chase.
1: Right. But the thing is, you can't take one line out of context of right. an entire episode and decide that from that one line that this is what Marty Knoxon is actually saying in this episode. Because no,
0: it's cherry-picking dialogue to prove a point that you want to make already.
1: Right. There's absolutely, I don't think, no. any, any meat to that argument. No, because
0: what we see in this episode are... Mm-hmm two men, both of whom were afflicted with with terrible fates, terrible... Against their will, (laughs) nothing they chose. Like lower C curses, uh, lowercase C curses. Uh, But they fight against that lure, that attraction. They they fight it, you know, every moment of every day in Angel's case, and they fight Mm -hmm. it, you know, once a month in Oz's case, or three times a month, I guess, in Oz's case. And that exists in a universe where we've already confronted this with Giles. We've already moved through this idea that... You can do terrible things, but doing good is a choice that you make every day. Right. Mm-hmm. It is so much more rich and rewarding, and genuinely, authentically celebratory of yeah. men and mm-hmm. masculinity.
1: Well, of these it particular seems men to too. Be at first, two house. out of three of our beasts are you know good men who are fighting it,
0: and this is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. The title and the Pete and Debbie storyline, yeah. work against. The actual, what what little, you know, weight there is in this episode, what little kind of um, narrative impact this episode is going to have in the future Yeah Comes from the Angel and the all storylines
2: Absolutely, yeah The
0: the Pete and Debbie stuff and the title and Faith asserting this, you know, mm-hmm. casual <laughs> right. take on, on masculinity Which actually seems to be, if anything, far more true of Faith herself, though that's possibly a conversation we could yeah. have another time mm-hmm. Um That side of the episode fights against what is wonderful about the other side of the episode. mm -hmm. And I don't think there's an argument you could make that would convince me that this episode wouldn't be stronger if we just cut Pete and Debbie entirely.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. What I think should have happened, what I would have liked to have seen, um, is that you have um, Scott Hope think that he's not man enough for Buffy that she dated. I heard you dated this older guy and, you know, and you're always getting in fights and you're always so, you know, that I'm not man enough for you. So I'm going to take this green glowy potion and it turns him against Buffy because Buffy can defend herself against that kind of abuse. Whereas Debbie just can't. Um And, I think that it also tightens down. We don't need to introduce Pete and Debbie. We don't need to explain Pete and Debbie. We don't have to pretend we're interested in Pete and Debbie because we're really, really not. And then you've got something that actually is related to... And and it's a great way to get rid of Scott Hope at the I, end, too. I see
0: your instinct is
1: to... Because I'm all this... about getting rid of Scott Hope right. as fast as possible.
0: <laughs> and I can see where you're coming from. That's clearly and impossible. And making him be and interesting. Martin didn't have the, the... I'm sure there was an editorial mandate at this point. We're doing a thing with Scott. You can't write him out. For the same reason as you couldn't just write out Cordelia at the end of an episode. Right. I see what you're saying, though, about making that side of the story meaningful to Buffy in a directly emotional way rather than it being just two people that she's just met and part of the problem with that is because it's two people that she doesn't care about it's two people that she isn't emotionally entangled with
1: and we don't care about and we don't care about it
0: it becomes heavy-handed message storytelling. Yes. You know, this is the domestic violence is terrible episode.
1: And that's not what this episode, when we're talking about the civil versus the savage, the theme that's interesting in this episode is about, you know, how you battle the beast within. And not that it's just men, that women also have beasts within. How much more interesting would this have been if Debbie had been, if we were going to do this, let Debbie be the one to be the beast. Let something interesting be happening there.
0: You could do that and we will certainly, you you know, do things that that are adjacent to that in Mm -hmm. the future. Um, That's not this episode, though. I think the best thing to do with Pete and with Debbie and with that whole storyline is just cut it.
1: Well, the only thing that we've got these killings going on and we have Oz, and plus the fact that I find the whole Oz thinking that maybe he's killed people... So much more interesting. Oh, yeah. than Pete and Debbie and all of that, and I find the Angel thing, of course, interesting. And oh right, so when I, when I so say we, cut we need the a monster stuff, of the week to yeah. we give need, us that, and the
0: Jekyll and Hyde tension. stuff is fine mm-hmm. for that. What, when I say cut the Pete and Debbie stuff, what I mean is just make it. Uh, you cut Debbie. Yeah. Just have Pete. This is a guy with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. This is a guy who believes that it's always the you know right. the jocks and the athletes and the whatever who get right. the girls. He's been he's been spurned. He has you know unrequited right. love. Whatever. It's just enough that take he's that a chemistry out, nerd take who out takes Platt, the. Yeah. Right. He's just a really simple and straightforward monster of the week. Yes. So that we can do. Everything that's interesting about this episode, and which is the angel stuff in the O's you're
1: stuff. talking about, and then you also have a guy who takes it on willingly, as opposed to Oz and Angel. So you've who got that nice it. reflection. Right. So he's pursuing the savage, yeah. as opposed to he's, I think honestly, that's so much better because the domestic abuse line in this is so trite and so it's not like. If you're going to talk about that, you have to spend the whole episode talking about that. And that's not what yeah. this episode is about. This episode is about inner bestiality, which I think Faith also, like you said, really illustrates Absolutely. nicely as well. No, we've got so, Faith and we've got Giles yeah. already in
0: the cast. We yeah. can explore something.
1: Well, because Giles is, yeah, I mean, right. Giles has got it within him, too. But the idea that this guy chose, you know, um, to, to do this thing because he wanted to... Um, you know, wanted to get attention or wanted to be like that, wanted to be tough, wanted to be, you know, uh, somebody, you know, died or whatever. I mean, there's so many deaths. There's so many things going on in this town. I mean, um, you can kind of understand where that would come from. Yeah. And then yeah. the fact that it would become something that he couldn't control, mm-hmm. um, I think would be an interesting thing that we have. There's people who can control it and there are people who can't. And what happens and when there somebody. Are people uh, who choose not to. Yeah. Right? Oh, it, that it, he likes it. Yeah, right. Yeah. You you could
0: definitely do some interesting things. All the raw material is there. And
1: and reflect the Oz and Angel stories so much more ably. Right. Rather than detract from them.
0: This really is an episode, I think, where... (laughs) the thing that is bad, there really is... I mean, Scott Hope, fine, okay. But the thing that is bad is the whole domestic violence angle here. And it's not that that is unworthy of respectful treatment in Buffy. It's just that it is too compressed If you're gonna
1: do it, you have to give it space so that you can really do it. And instead it gets wedged into a story that's actually about something else. Exactly.
0: Yes. Fundamentally, tonally, thematically, about something else. Mm -hmm. You can't just have that as an also-ran. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, What I find... Most interesting about this episode, though, is that everything else is really good—not mm-hmm. just adequate, not just yeah. fine. I really the genuinely angel like
1: stuff, it. Is, fantastic. The the stuff, awesome stuff Willow, is fantastic. All the stuff with awesome stuff is fantastic. All the stuff with Cordelia angel and Buffy. for her moments that for she's there is adorable.
0: And the, the only right. thing that made me roll my eyes was Gay Pan Alexander. Yeah, Giles is great. That mm-hmm. scene when Giles sits down and he talks about yeah. it—even the opening scene with Platt. Mm-hmm. You should cut it because it doesn't serve narrative purpose. But that line that he has, mm-hmm. my point is, demons can be fought. People can change.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That is such a huge. And at idea. least it
1: speaks to theme. Yeah. You know, which is which is nice, and I, yeah. I like that. Um, I
0: could have actually, you could do that first scene with Plant. If Platt was then going to appear in the next few episodes,
1: yeah. If Platt was going to be a thing, if he was going to be a guy who Buffy could turn to, and you see him, her turning to somebody in the mundane world as opposed to you know her friends who understand everything,
2: looking for the
1: help with the mundane part of it, you know. I mean, that could be an interesting thing to do. (laughs) Not to spoil, we are going
0: to see Buffy turn to people that she does not love for emotional support and mm-hmm. validation and an external perspective yeah. later in the series that is going to be a thing that Buffy does right it could be a thing that starts here yeah
2: you know?
0: we could easily do something interesting and and God just relevant with mm-hmm. Platt. the right. problem is because he's killed in this cheap way and because the the reveal of that is handled so cheaply yeah it invalidates everything that he said earlier yeah, yeah. it really it, does. It becomes mm-hmm. just a Just a setup. It's a gimmick. That's all he is. is It's
1: just a gimmick. Um, and which I think undercuts what could have been a really interesting character.
0: I completely agree. I completely agree. So what do we think then of the, the metaphysics of the Buffyverse? You know, what do we get from this episode in terms of, in terms of evil? Are we even in this episode dealing with evil?
1: Um, I mean, I think that, I think that Pete is weak. You know, um, yeah. and I think that there are interesting things to talk about when a weak person gets physical strength. Yeah. You know, um, I don't feel like we address anything with any sort of. Of real attention to how the world works or to the metaphysics, I mean, this is one of those things where again we've got human evil versus demonic evil, you know, versus bestial evil, um, because we have Angel on the demonic side and we have Oz on the bestial side. Although Angel does have this this feral element to him, you know, in the beginning. Right, Angel um,
0: is dem- when we deal with Angel, we're dealing with demonic evil. Yes. but we're not dealing with that in this episode. We're dealing with, with animalistic his, evil. With we're his bestial. With simply- well, I don't even know it's, it's evil it's just savagery yeah, no, you're right evil right is the wrong word yeah. it's, it's savagery it's
1: savagery mm-hmm. savagery is versus dangerous. civilization and i think that yeah. that is a really interesting thing to talk about i don't feel like the pete and debbie storyline really does anything interesting it with that doesn't it doesn't even do anything interesting with the the human evil which i think is much f- more frightening you yeah. know, demonic evil, at least you know what you're dealing with, but human evil comes from a much, much more complicated place. To well, make those choices while having a exactly. soul, and I, I think, think is an interesting discussion. I think
0: that is the thing. That is the insight that this gives me to how mm-hmm. we're supposed to view good and evil in the right. Buffyverse. What makes Angel virtuous mm-hmm. is the choice that he makes. Exactly. What makes Oz virtuous is the choice that he makes. Mm-hmm. What makes Pete evil is the choice that he makes. Right. You know, when you are... And this fits in, too, with our ongoing thesis mm-hmm. in the Buffyverse that if you are not in control of your action, you are not culpable for it.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: if... You know, Oz wrestles with that right. here, but we're taking this line that says, well, if if where Oz should get out yeah. and should maul someone... It's not his fault. human Oz is going to feel a little guilty about it, but in an absolute right. moralistic sense, he's not responsible. Well,
1: because the only part of... The only part of you that has a choice is yeah. the human part, is the soul,
2: and this, because
1: think, Angel doesn't have a choice either when he's angelous. Right. You know, I mean, this is the demon within him.
0: Well, yeah. Though again, we get back to this uh, this notion that vampires are more complicated than that because Spike apparently well, has a choice. And that
1: can make, yeah. You know, Drusilla can has make a choice. Choices, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, that is. It's definitely much more complicated with with uh, with vampires.
0: Yeah, more complicated than the show asserts anyway
1: at least early on yeah
2: yeah and
0: we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll continue to to explore right. that i'm sure but no you're right i think that when we talk about human evil
2: mm-hmm.
0: we're really talking about the choice we're talking about there's nothing driving you to commit yeah. these these abhorrent crimes you, know, mm-hmm. you have to you have to walk toward it it's not coming after you right mm-hmm. and i think that that is what makes human evil so much more disturbing, that is why Cordelia is going to have serious thoughts on And so
1: much more interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are interesting there's... things to talk about with that, and we just don't. Right, and
0: and yeah. muddying it with these issues of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. They, they just detract from right. what little you know narrative spark, little narrative weight there is in the Pete storyline, Right, which is about the choice that he's making. Muddying that with, well, he doesn't have a choice because Debbie makes him angry. You know? <laughs> Right. That's a fundamentally different take on volition and, that's and a agency different and responsibility discussion. yeah exactly.
1: that's a different discussion entirely that's a domestic abuse discussion and that requires more space and thought and care than we really necessarily exactly. have here and pete and Debbie are exactly when we talk about having to put up scaffolding to hold things up pete and Debbie are exactly what we're talking about so we have this idea of beauty and the beast rather than go for something simple that we don't need to explain which is a human you know maybe a weakling guy who really wants to have power you know yeah. um some, that's simple that's all you have to do you that just is have that guy that we're going to
0: return to again and again exactly in the Buffy yeah.
1: exactly so you have him and you show him in that in that position when we have to build up all the scaffolding for this we've got pete and debbie and he, you know debbie was having problems and she goes to see mr platt and then pete is jealous and insecure and all of that kind of stuff and she wanted him to be more manly or whatever um, well,
0: which is a beat that we're told but there's
1: no evidence of that. No evidence of He's it. He's using all. her as an excuse for it. So, yeah, the whole thing is just a mess, but there's all this scaffolding that has to go up to hold that up and it doesn't do anything but take time away from what we could do exploring this theme. This is why, you know, as writers, those of you out there who are writers, the simpler you can make your your structured story, the more time you have for theme for character moments for these these connections it's um it's so it's so important to like really keep your eye on that because otherwise we've got all this scaffolding in the middle of this episode that mm-hmm. doesn't even contribute to anything you know if if you, at least you're contributing to theme then a little scaffolding you know whatever you got to do what you got to do but in here it's just detracting it's taking away from everything else that we've got going on which is really interesting and really good
0: yeah mm-hmm. no i i completely agree yeah. there are, two sides of this episode and they are at war with each other and unfortunately that wreaks havoc on the stuff in this episode that I feel legitimately works this isn't it isn't the case with this episode, as it has been with some others recently, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of good, disparate stuff that cohere that, that fails to cohere. Right. You know, th- there are high points and low points, but none of it really adds up to anything. Mm-hmm. I think what is good in this episode, the good side Holds of this episode, together. absolutely really does come together to yeah. something great, something insightful, something profound, and something that will have long-lasting consequences mm-hmm. on our understanding of these characters. Right. But because the other side of the episode fights against it and and, 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 and such pulls damage.
1: energy away from it it drains yep. energy from it and as much as I don't like personally the Jack London stuff and I find it I find it totally you know divergent and doesn't contribute to the episode at least opening and closing on the Jack London stuff gives you a sense of what this episode really should have been about and what it would have worked so much better if it had kept to that mm-hmm. um so I mean as much as I don't like it personally I think that it at least speaks to theme. I think it's, I think the
0: tone of the Jack London piece is tonally, exactly tonally consistent with this piece. hmm It's simply the use of literary quotation. It's simply, you know, both framing the device, uh, framing the episode with this voiceover device. Mm-hmm. But also having it not be a personal account, not being, you know, internal from the characters. Yeah. It always feels weird when we open a Buffy episode with voiceover. We've done it a few times and it never feels quite right. It never feels quite Buffy. Yeah. But making that not an account from one of the characters involved. Mm-hmm. But see, this is the thing. I would have liked it even more. If instead of it just being the quote mm-hmm. standalone, yeah. it had been Oz saying,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, there's this book that I like.
1: Right. And reframing it in you know, his voice. It never made
0: sense to me. Sure. Until last sure. year. But now.
1: That would work.
0: And then he quotes from the passage. That would Reframing work. it so it's not literary, but it's right. personal, right. I think would really help it. Um,
1: well, I mean, I wouldn't even quote from the book. I would just say, you know, and call of the wild, you know, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And this and and deal well, with it from that I like Jack London's prose a
0: little more than you do. I find, I find his prose to be. Um yeah it, it's certainly heavy-handed over the course of an entire novel but but there are short and precise and beautifully evocative uh phrases and passages that I think that's true that it
1: bores the ever living hell yeah. out of me but I think that I think that there's absolute value to Jack London it's just not for me I just it bores me to tears Yeah no I um, can understand that but uh but I I definitely can see where why he's a thing and why people enjoy him so yeah. much you know
0: so an interesting new variation for Oz yeah. too in this episode.
2: Yeah.
0: Oz does not look the way that he looked in phases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. We don't have his big, you know, uh, you know, muzzly
1: yeah. makeup. Yeah. He's
0: very, very He's different. He's evolving
1: he very as a werewolf, you know? sure.
0: Yeah, I think that's in universe, that's the only explanation that we can offer, I guess. Um, yeah. Is that yeah, he he was <laughs> I, I have nothing to say, you know. It's yeah. clearly a revision to the makeup, which is great, and I'm glad that they did it because the makeup the first time around was terrible. Was
1: pretty terrible, and it's it's better to evolve than to be consistent absolutely. and bad. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I like this take on mm-hmm. where Oz. It works. Yeah. It works pretty well. Um, and there's a real kind of savagery when he jumps on Pete, mm-hmm. and it's not. Choreographed fighting as we're used to from Buffy. Yeah, it is this real. I have to say the choreography throughout this episode really beautifully done. You mm-hmm. know, some of the the stunts and the set pieces, some of the the physical coordination yeah. of that is gorgeous. I really like the the shot where Pete jumps up on the lockers and escapes through. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The window, mm-hmm. because it speaks so well of his strength and agility yeah. without us having to have, you know, him turning an iron bar into a pretzel. Exactly, <laughs> so, you know, exactly. So he, yeah, he really moves. I like the special effect of Pete's transformation. It's mm-hmm. a really disconcerting yeah. and disturbing effect. I don't like his makeup so much after he is transformed.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I don't think that actor has the presence mm-hmm. to carry it off. Yeah. But it's, it's pretty good. It, from a production point of view, I think this episode really...
1: I, well, yeah, I Holds think they up. tried some some new interesting um, things and
0: new Oz. Yeah it, yeah, it definitely works for me. I like that. Did your heart give a little leap with uh, Willow's Scooby Doo lunchbox?
1: I did. It did. I really <laughs> enjoyed that, and I love I love the fact that here we are breaking into a morgue. Um, yep. Yep. you know, and We're committing a crime and not putting away childish things. I like that a lot. Here's a thing that I wanted to bring up though. Yep. This uh, whenever guns of any sort show up in Buffy, it always feels really really Weird. And I mean, the last time that Giles got shot in the ass, fair enough, it was with a crossbow, which is sort of gun-esque. It's gun adjacent, but it's not like gun gun. But whenever we have a gun in Buffy, it always seems to like go wrong or, you know, it's just guns are just really, really bad. So we have this moment where we pull out the Trank gun and then Giles gets shot in the ass and it feels... A little bit silly, you know, like we just wanted to have Giles oh, fall I down again. that beat. Do yeah. you think yeah. it's okay? There's a theory out there that I've seen that they they hate guns, and whenever we have guns, we always see them going wrong. Yeah. Which I don't know is necessarily always true, but um, but I found that kind of an interesting. Like I, I would kind of want to follow this guns in the Buffy verse and what yeah. happens when well, we have one.
0: We've talked about that before, and I think that the the connection between guns and the crossbow is mm-hmm. actually uh, a fascinating one. Yeah. because guns do what crossbows did historically speaking prior to the invention of the crossbow you know combat was conducted between skilled combatants you know with swords and armor and a Mm -hmm. great deal of training when the crossbow was invented it could punch a hole through plate Mm -hmm. steel at 50 yards, right. and literally anyone could point it and pull the mm-hmm. trigger. It fundamentally changed the way that power was held yeah. and applied to the world around you. Mm-hmm. And I think that guns in the Buffyverse serve a very similar function. Mm-hmm. Anyone with a gun is dangerous. Yeah, And that's... That stands contrary to our understanding of power in the Buffyverse. Right. In Buffy, some people are special, and they have power. Mm-hmm. And power is usually dangerous it's usually mm-hmm. you know associated with at least the temptation right. of, of mm-hmm. evil mm-hmm. guns sit uncomfortably alongside that and i think yeah i think it's absolutely a conscious choice mm-hmm. that whenever we see guns they are they are represented in a very different way um, yeah
1: yeah because it's, it's like a shortcut it's like a you know, there's something that you get with a gun that is not innate to who you are. Exactly right. You know, it's cheating. Yeah. It feels like cheating. I think it's interesting. And I think it's interesting, too, on the essential, you know, um, corruption that comes along with power. You know, is it is it because of all the power that, you're, that demons are essentially corrupt? Is it that draw to evil? And the soul is the only thing that prevents you from...
2: Well the exact
0: nature of the soul is a really tricky one and that's going to be an ongoing discussion all the way through to yeah. the end of Buffy, but I think I think not. Mm-hmm. Um because probably arguably the most powerful people that we have seen in Buffy are the slayers. Yeah. And I think that the slayers represent the temptation that Buffy faces. You know, when Buffy is tempted mm-hmm. to slide, yeah. it's not about the exercise of her power. Right. It's only ever about, you know, the exercise of empathy and compassion mm-hmm. and weakness. It's actually her softer qualities that lead her down dark
1: paths. Right. Um, but I think Faith, though, as a slayer, shows us another side to this. I mean, Faith has a certain, you know... um a certain corruptibility about her, you the, know
0: she certainly lacks the the polish that we see from Buffy. She certainly yeah. lacks the either the you know the 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 tough strictures of Kendra's training mm-hmm. and Kendra's approach to being a slayer or the the overabundance of heart and empathy that mm-hmm. Buffy you know right. relies upon in mm-hmm. her role as slayer. Faith certainly has a more mm, a more physical, a more voracious mm-hmm. a more yeah, I, I mean, I hesitate to say corruptible, but, yeah. but there's certainly the sense that she she walks more readily in shadows yeah. than Buffy does, and gains power from that. I think that's maybe what it is. I mm-hmm. think it's maybe the other way around. Yeah. I don't think it's that power corrupts. I think that it's power awaits those who choose to be corrupted. Aha.
1: Uh-huh. Interesting. You know? Interesting.
0: I think that you can, if you are willing to surrender the things that matter, if you're mm-hmm. willing to surrender what the show holds to be virtuous. Yeah then you can gain power for that. You know, I think that's what we see with with Ripper, that's what we see with Giles mm-hmm. uh, with with, uh, with Ethan Rain. Yeah. Um I think this is the big question of Buffy, mm-hmm. right? This is the big conversation that we're going to have three times a season yeah. between now and the end of the show and all the way through Angel 2. We're going to continue talking about power and choice and responsibility. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about duty. Yeah. We're going to talk about all of these big ideas because Buffy will continue to explore them from new perspectives and in new ways, mm-hmm. and to explore the consequences and costs associated with the exercise of power and the fulfillment of duty and the obligations of love. It's right. going to be.
1: Those, it's going to be a. It's a, why a, we go here. It's why we ride. do this. This show because there's so many so fantabulous yeah. discussions to have about that.
0: Is there anything in this episode that makes you uncomfortable from a, f- from the point of view of sexual politics? Is there anything does. Anything in the domestic abuse storyline, the domestic violence storyline, does any of that carry sufficient weight that it makes you feel uncomfortable about specifically Debbie's account of Mm -hmm. things, that it's her fault that Pete behaves the way that he does? And Um, then she is killed before she can have any kind of resolution or restoration.
1: I think the whole thing is flat. I mean, it's, it's a very typical thing that when a person is abused, they are actually led to believe they are primed to believe by their abuser that it is their fault and this yeah. happens all the time this happens with children this happens with wives but it happens with everybody we don't
0: do the thing that we usually do in Buffy and we usually do in stories of this type where we set out very flatly a counterstatement. where we, we say not that is any... not how things work
1: right we don't give it we don't give this um story enough space to do it justice and it's done very flatly it's done very um um, kind of randomly and mm-hmm. it's it's just not we don't get the space we need to tell that story to talk about it with any kind of depth so because we look at it from such a superficial angle i don't think that there's anything there that adds anything to that discussion. so if you
0: read this as being
1: <laughs> somehow
0: mm-hmm. i don't know if you read an implicit uh support for the idea that women drive men to violence the, you know a completely abhorrent idea yeah. particularly you know in the buffy verse or that
1: the abused drive the abusers to violence right. it's not always you know women and yes. men no, right no mm-hmm. that's
0: true well yeah. i no it is specifically women and men though in this episode because we're, we're framing it very carefully as men struggle with the in, this natures. In, episode, in, in this episode yeah but the nature episode. of
1: abuse yeah. Yeah. it can be you no no know, of course yeah. yeah absolutely
0: and again we'll, we'll tackle that out uh, with the bands of this episode we'll mm-hmm. tackle that in the buffy verse going right. forward mm-hmm. but I, I yes i think you're entirely right i think that the take on domestic violence is so flat mm-hmm. that trying to read any statement of intent or any kind of implication beyond it's, it's what just is literally faulty. on the screen there's nothing is there a fool's yeah. Yeah. no i'm inclined to agree with that mm-hmm. i think you're I think you're right on the money let's begin at this point okay <laughs> a very difficult conversation there is a lot of good stuff in this episode. There is a lot of bad stuff on this episode. Yeah. Where
1: does this episode end up? On the big list of every Buffy episode ever. Well, I don't know. That is kind of a tough uh, a tough thing. You know, The thing is that, like, separate out the Monster of the Week, that it doesn't do anything for what we're doing. Um, if you take that out of this episode, what we've got left is pretty good. What we've got left is pretty solid.
0: Yes. But the Monster of the Week stuff is combative in yes. a way that... It isn't Other just a distraction, it drains
1: aren't. the right. energy from it, it, the main yes, story. It muddies it yeah. horribly. Mm-hmm.
0: For example, in Anne, mm-hmm. we didn't care for the monster of the week. Right. But it stood apart from the main thrust of the narrative. Exactly. A narrative that we could enjoy.
1: And didn't didn't actively detract yes. from it.
0: I feel like this episode is more complicated than that. Yeah. Because it really does When you're watching When we're sitting And discussing it After the fact Mm -hmm. I think it's easier To like Distill these two Separate Mm storylines And be appreciative Of one Right And to
1: condemn the other It feels a little Like Hitch to me (laughs) I Hitch think is both to to the best romance that. ever and the worst romance ever, the movie with Will Smith and Eva Mendes. Um, and I use it, it when I teach romance all yes. the time as both an example of absolutely how to write a romance and absolutely how not to write yes. a romance. Amazingly yeah.
0: enough, in Hitch, the romance storyline with Kevin James yeah. is brilliant.
1: Absolutely.
0: And the romance storyline with Will Smith is terrible, is monstrous. It's yeah,
1: terrible. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, yeah. There's
0: something. There is something of that here. Mm-hmm. Except even in that, you can you can completely separate and disambiguate those two. Just watch lines. all the Alfred
1: and Allegra and scenes, it's and much you're fine. Harder fun, to right? do mm-hmm. that
0: in the span of this episode, and that is going to cost it as much. I think, I think I'm always... hotter on the good stuff in this episode. Than yeah. You, were. you sat down and you were like, "This is this is terrible. This is yeah. like an irredeemable." Well, because
1: I was so annoyed. Pete and Debbie annoyed me so much. Yeah. That my ability to enjoy the stuff that was really good was kind of hindered, yeah. you know. And now that I, I take a step back and I separate that out, and I realize that the the stuff that's good is good. Yeah. Um. You know. I mean, I'm kind of everything
0: that counts about the episode yeah. is good. Is is really
1: good. I'm a middle of the of the road kind of. I have it in the. Which nightmares, puppet show, that kind of arena,
0: okay. that's actually that's kind of where I am. Yeah. I, I was going to start a little lower because, of course, the the right. most direct point of comparison, yes. <laughs> would be the pack,
2: yeah. Uh, we're mm-hmm. dealing
0: with with, you know, children turned into beasts, yeah, and we're dealing with a death in that office set. Um, yeah. but I think you're right. I think I would put it up somewhere around uh, I don't know. See, I can't say. The good stuff is so good, but I can't say that it really, you know, clears the bar of something like The Puppet Show, mm-hmm. because The Puppet Show is kind of the opposite
1: problem. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. The
0: Puppet Show is a completely banal monster of the week. Yeah. It's just a really well-constructed and well-engineered episode of television. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Everything and it builds works all it together. focused yeah. as it
0: should. And mm-hmm. it, it's not particularly good or particularly ambitious, mm-hmm. but it does what it's doing rather beautifully. Yes. This episode lacks that discipline. It lacks that fine attention to craft.
1: The high points are higher, highs... but the low points oh, drag but the down. The high points are so much higher. So how do we deal with something like that? Well, it's a tough how one. How do you place it?
0: It's a tough one. Intuitively for me, I maybe want to put it a little higher uh because I really like the good here. Um I would maybe want to put it hmm maybe somewhere around Reptile Boy Ooh. Maybe between Angel and Welcome to the Hellmouth? Does that sound
1: good to you? I could go that far. Does that? I could go that far.
0: Because it's not better than Angel, right?
1: No, it's not better than Angel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it probably is better than the pilot? In terms of when you think about what in you go terms to a of Buffy the high episode for. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. What, yeah.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm happy with that. That's almost perfectly right slap bang in the middle of the list. All right. So there we Um, go. So there it is. It is going to be the new number 18 on the list. All right. Higher, I think, than I expected to put this episode. Yeah. The bad stuff is really bad. And Mm -hmm. I completely understand why it infuriates people. And if you hate this episode, if for you, dear listener, this is a Ted, go fish kind of episode, I can completely understand why. Right. (laughs) It's just a matter of of whether you like,
1: whether you like the stuff that's good enough to counteract how much you hate the stuff and that's And whether bad. you can whistle past it. Right. You know? Yeah. This I think... one I can't whistle past. I'm I'm very good at whistling past stuff. I do it all the time. Um, <laughs> but this I can't whistle past as much. I think possibly it's because of the um, domestic abuse is something that I, I take, like, you know, like most people, I think I take it fairly seriously. As well. You should. And sure. if I'm going to have to deal with with these, you know, serious thoughts I'm going to have all day, I want it to be worth it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's just not, it just doesn't, it doesn't do, it doesn't give domestic abuse the complicated treatment that it absolutely requires.
0: Yes, but it does give, it, it pays an absolutely appropriate amount of respect to, the, the big issues of the episode mm-hmm. uh, to the choices that we make and the, the constraint of and indulgence in yeah. animalistic intent, you know, which, <laughs> and if the temptation of that, right,
1: if that side, if that monster of the week had simply harmonized mm-hmm. with that thematically yeah. would have been great. It would be an all
0: time great it episode. It would be an all time great yeah, episode. Yeah. 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 If you strip out the Debbie stuff mm-hmm. and you simply have. Pete as a, you know, Pete
1: as uh, a weakling, as as, as, somebody who's been bullied. Exactly, who turns into, and so who's the last person? Who's the last person we're going to think? Exactly. Is the monster? Is this, you know, this little, you know, weakling friend of of Scott Hope's or whatever? And it would also make me, you know, think better of Scott Hope if he had a friend who was kind of like, You know, not the guy that other kids pick on, but who's interesting and nerdy and also nerdy and scientific enough. Where in the hell did Pete and Debbie, the brain trust that is Pete and Debbie, figure out the green goo? I mean, granted, they're on the hell mouth, so they get a a boost up, but still.
0: That is a a very pointed observation. Yeah. We don't even... Nod toward an explanation there, which is there's fine. No I, I think there's no sense I'd probably that they are terribly right it than, yes, Yeah, but it, it is pretty terrible. But you're absolutely right. If this is more mm-hmm. like a, a, you know, some assembly required. Right. <laughs> kind no, of a mad
1: scientist kind yeah. of thing. And somebody that you can sympathize with. Like, you can't sympathize with Pete. He's just an idiot. But you can sympathize with a guy who's getting beat up all the time why he trying wants to, to take use. That step. Right. Trying yeah. to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy. I yeah. deserve the girl. I deserve the attention. You know, I mean, And going after bullies, you know, I mean, I think that that could be that could have been an interesting way to harmonize that idea with this storyline, you know, is reaching for the savagery when there are other people who are trying to actively battle against it. If you've
0: taken that approach Mm -hmm. up there. Right right up Absolutely. there in terms of the all-term mm-hmm. grades. And this is the thing. Marty Noxon can still write the hell out of these characters. Marty is delivering incredible. the
2: goods. And, I know and a lot
1: a of people have problems with her, but this is a woman with a tremendous amount of talent. And I, I take exception to this idea that she hates men. I'm going to have to see some really compelling evidence.
0: <laughs> well, I think the argument would be that you will. Okay. You'll see a lot of it, and you'll okay. see it in season six. Okay. We'll talk about that then. We'll talk about that then. We'll get there in a couple of years, is yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> so that wraps up our discussion of Beauty and the Beasts by God. I still hate that title. Yes. I don't think that we need a spoiler zone discussion this week because yeah. very little of this. Angel's back. Yeah. You guys, we're going to deal with the consequences of that. Yeah. But we're not really going to address any of the. What we see in this episode influences our understanding Mm -hmm. of these characters going forward. But in terms of plot and foreshadowing, there's precious little here.
1: Yeah, this is is not one of the essential buffies. So let's skip the
0: spoilers on this week. Nothing after the music this week. But we will be back next week to talk about... Homecoming!
1: Homecoming.
0: That is a big, pivotal
1: episode. That is going to be fun.
0: That is going to be a ton of fun, and I cannot wait for it. Guys, if you would like to get in touch with us over the week ahead, then you can do so by emailing podcast at storywonk.com, by finding us on Twitter at storywonk, or by calling our voicemail line 252-505-WONK. That is 252-505-9665. And if you feel like some deeper conversation, if you want to pull apart either this episode or our response to this (laughs) episode— then you can do so over on the forum at forum.storywonk.com, where there is always fine discussion to be found. If you have enjoyed this episode and you would like us to do more, up to and including Double Dusted, yes, you heard me, two episodes of Dusted every week, then you can pledge a little support over at patreon.com slash storywonk, that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash storywonk. There you can pledge a dollar a month or whatever you can afford to help us reach our stretch goal of doing double dusted
1: oh my goodness it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah
0: (laughs) guys thank you so much for listening we will be back next week until then i'm alistair
2: stevens
1: and i'm Lonnie Diane rich and this is dusted